0: Oh, maybe Chris won't name names, but I will. John Hedges, Oakland, California, big shout out to you. Glad to see you're on the live uh, worship cast today. Good morning. If we've not met, I'm Nathan Brand. I'm the senior pastor here, and welcome to our, our worship service. We are already in May. Isn't that crazy? Oh, one thing I want to uh, let you know we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. We're going to be celebrating communion together, and so um, if you want to go into your kitchen right now, get some crackers, a piece of bread, some juice, what have you, get those things ready because the sermon's going to go right into that celebration of communion, so just get those things ready, and then we'll be um, doing that. Uh, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper and what he's done to redeem us. Um, so again, as I mentioned, it's, it's May it didn't seem like uh we'd ever get here but it, here we are and uh, at the end of this month we have a lot of high school seniors who are wondering whether they're going to have a graduation ceremony and my heart goes out to them you know uh, a lot of us who are parents and you know the elder category have been posting on on facebook pictures of of ourselves uh, as as seniors, maybe to, to cheer up or, uh, you know, maybe entertain. And, and John, why don't you just throw that up there? How about that? Look at that. So, you know, most of these senior pictures, they end up in a, a yearbook, don't they? Uh, a place to remember what happened during high school, your classmates and, you know, In a yearbook, oftentimes, there are these things we call senior superlatives. There are things like most likely to succeed, you know, biggest flirt, biggest drama queen, most likely to become a politician, you know, things like that, class clown. I suspect I might have been most likely to have my eyebrows plucked by my daughters. Um, But, you you know, and those things are humorous. Uh they're you know, it's kind of something to chuckle and and part of it is you know, kind of a little bit of a, a popularity contest. Who do we think are the most beautiful or the most talented? But it's also a little bit of a a weigh-in by your peers about what they thought about you, how they perceived you. And sometimes that expression can be a little bit painful. High school students, even people in general, sometimes are not kind with how they express their thoughts about you. And today we're going to meet a man who people didn't think very well of him, and they expressed it. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to open them up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. That's where we're going to be today. But this man was an outcast. He was openly despised, and part of it for good reason. But when Jesus shows up, when Jesus comes on the scene, well, let's just say the one who is probably voted least likely to experience salvation, well, he surprises some people. So I want to quickly pray for this this time because this is a beautiful passage, and then we'll dive into God's Word. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your Word and how you... (laughs) pursue us. And I pray that you'd help us to see that in this passage. And as I have prayed every week, I pray, Lord, that you will send your Holy Spirit and help me to speak the words you want me to speak and edit out the things you don't want me to say. But touch our hearts and do your work in our hearts, we pray. We want to see you for who you fully are, and we want to respond to you. So give us grace to do so. And Lord Jesus, it's your name I pray these things. Amen. So, if you are with us last week, we were in the chapter 18, in verse 32, and Jesus is coming into a town called Jericho. As he comes in, he tells his disciples, hey, we're going up to Jerusalem, guys. And what's going to happen there is the Son of Man, that's me, Jesus is saying, I'm going to be turned over to the Gentiles. I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be insulted, I'm going to be spit upon, I'm going to be flogged, and I'm going to be killed. And then on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. And the scripture says the disciples didn't understand. It was hidden from them. They were blind. And ironically, Jesus runs into a blind man named Bartimaeus, who seemed to have more insight into who Jesus was, than his disciples and he opens his eyes in order to show us that we need Jesus to open our eyes to who he is so Jesus is still in the same town in Jericho and he's on mission he's on mission he's going to Jerusalem but he's got something to do in Jericho and this is where we pick up the story in chapter 19 of Luke verses 1 through 4 Okay, let's just get it out of our system right now, okay? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Okay, got that out of our system? Okay, good. Zacchaeus is a seeking sinner. We find out, first of all, that he's a chief sinner tax collector. And we know from the rest of Scripture that tax collectors were not well regarded by the rest of Jewish society. In fact, they were outcasts. But he was a chief tax collector. That means he was in charge of a whole region, a whole area. He had climbed the ladder. And he probably didn't do it by being a good guy. He was the guy who set policy, who had authority, and he could confiscate Your property, and he can make your life miserable. Number two, we find out he is rich. He may have been envied by others around him, and and as we're finding out even in our own time, you know, living from hand to mouth can make you pretty uh, close to poverty very quickly, and this was even more so true during the first century. Tax collecting was a franchise. Basically, you would sign up with the Roman government. You'd have a franchise, and as long as you collected, you know, Rome's piece of the pie and Herod's piece of the pie, you could have whatever was left over. So you're setting policy. So I suspect it was like Zacchaeus put things on a sliding scale here and there, where he would take advantage and basically use his tax position to extort the people of Jericho. So, once again, he's not a very like guy. Number three he's short. He was unable to see over the crowd when Jesus comes into town when he walks down the street. Now, this causes me to stop and pause for a moment. What makes a Jewish man like Zacchaeus sign up to become a tax collector? Where he knows he's going to be hated. He knows he's going to be despised. Well, I wonder if it's in the fact that he was short. This is not a character issue, but You know, if you're a smaller guy, he may have got picked on a lot. He might have gotten bullied, and maybe he was tired of it. And to to a certain point, he says, okay, just you wait, I'll show you. He becomes a tax collector. He becomes a person who's in charge, who has authority, and now he who was bullied maybe becomes the bully. You know, there's nothing worse than someone who's been put in charge and he wants to show everybody that he is in charge or she is in charge. And in the end, they end up abusing people. Hurt people. People who've been hurt oftentimes hurt others. I wonder if this is what was going on with Zacchaeus. But anyway you slice it, he was perceived as a jerk. No one liked Zacchaeus. And they're not going to let him in. They're not going to make way for him to see. No way. Uh Uh-uh. By the way, what interest do you have in Jesus anyway, Zacchaeus? Being a godly man has been far from your track record. No. So I suspect Zacchaeus was most likely a pretty miserable person. He'd reached the top of his career, and it was empty. But now Jesus was coming to town. And this brings hope to him. He's heard about him. A man who speaks of the kingdom of God. A man who's healed people. Could he be the Messiah? You know what else he probably heard? He even interacts with tax collectors. In fact, I heard one of his his disciples, Matthew or Levi, was a tax collector himself. Maybe there's hope for me. And it says in verse 3, he wanted to see Jesus. The verb there is he, he was seeking to see Jesus. That's why I am saying he was a seeking sinner. He's gotta, he was saying, I've got to find out who this Jesus guy is. Because I've got to find out if he's got something for me. But again, he's getting boxed out by the crowd. But just like last week, where blind Bartimaeus wasn't going to allow that to happen, as he cried out, well, Zacchaeus... He climbs up, verse 4. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, I have to tell you, the fact that this is a sycamore fig tree is significant, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But first of all, you know, this guy is a well-dressed, you know, public official. He's climbing a tree. It's like, you know... Pastor Nathan climbing in his three-piece suit. It looks a little bit silly. But, you know, he got up in the tree, and I think there's a picture of it. Do we have a picture of that? No, we don't. Okay, forget it. Well, anyway, it's a large tree. It's a large tree with big branches, leaves where he could hide, maybe stay a little bit anonymous. But here's the thing about the sycamore fig tree. Is it actually produced these little figs. These little buds that could be eaten. But here's the thing. You can't eat them, or they they taste terrible, unless someone has come by a fig dresser and put a little cut in them before they've been taken off the tree. Somehow that releases the sweetness of the fruit. Otherwise, it just remains bitter and inedible. Amos, who was a famous fig picker in the... Old Testament, a prophet. And Amos 7.14 talks about how he was a fig dresser. This is what he was doing. He put a little incision in these figs so they would be edible. So we'll talk about how that comes into play here in a moment. But here's what's happening here. This is where grace intersects with Zacchaeus, the seeking sinner. Because he's about ready to run into the greater reality. Yes, Zacchaeus is seeking But Jesus is the seeking Savior. Pick it up at verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus stops and he looks up. See, everyone else was watching Jesus. They were oblivious to what was going on with Zacchaeus, but Jesus knows. And he looks up, and he knows his name. Zacchaeus and Jesus had never met, but he knows his name. That's the kind of seeking Savior Jesus is. Folks, he knows your name. He knows your name. He's intimately acquainted with you, just as he was with Zacchaeus. And he says to him, I must stay at your house today. Two surprising things about this comment, okay? Number one, he invites himself over. He would never met the guy. He says, yeah, me and my entourage of my my disciples, we're going to go and we're going to be your house guests. We're going to stay at your place. Now that is a total violation of Minnesota Nice, isn't it? You don't invite yourself over to somebody's house. No. That's poor form. It simply isn't done, if you will. But even worse, it's not only bad manners or poor manners. He's going to be with poor company. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the guy who's extorted this whole city, that's who you're going to hang out with, Jesus? I thought you were the Messiah. Uh, I'm questioning your, you know, your company, your discernment. Now, Zach was happy with it. It says in verse 6, And he came down at once and and welcomed him gladly. He was overjoyed. Yeah, yeah, this is what he's been waiting for. Waiting for someone to reach out to him and draw him in. And it's the seeking Savior. The crowd, not so much. They're not buying this. Verse 7. And the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. The significance of this, especially in this time, is if when you went to go eat with somebody, you extended, really, fellowship to that person. It was a sign of acceptance, even. Possible Messiah going to hang out with this despised guy. What gives Jesus? This is a bad look. You know what's interesting? Jesus doesn't care. Because he's on mission to seek out Zacchaeus. He has a mission to pursue him with his grace. And then you see the impact. This is probably a little while after Jesus had sat down with Zacchaeus, had a meal, and verse 8 it says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here now, here now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. In the presence of, of Jesus, Zacchaeus becomes a changed man. Him thinking, The Messiah is, has actually come to pursue me. He's been seeking me. And he calls him Lord. No longer is Zacchaeus in the driver's seat. Jesus is. He changes his heart. He's going to change his nature. He's, now, he's no longer going to be driven by greed, but rather by compassion. I give half of my possessions to the poor. Not half of his income, half of his possessions. Half of everything he owns. Whether that's land, property, clothing, what have you. And no longer is he driven by pride or power or vengeance, but by justice, restitution, and reconciliation. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount And most likely, Zacchaeus had cheated people out of stuff. So here's the significance. I was talking a little earlier about the sycamore tree, the fig-bearing sycamore tree. Sycamore. Okay? The word for cheated or defrauded is the word sycophant, which literally means fig informer. That's a picture that makes no sense to us. But it meant somebody who was kind of a charmer, a brown noser, always looking to get inside information so that they could take advantage of others, so they could defraud others, they could cheat others. It's it's a word we have in our dictionary. and We just chalk it up to somebody who's a brown nose in the office or what have you, always trying to get an upper hand. Here's the point. The sycophant was the fruit that was going on inside of Zacchaeus. It was the bitter fruit. But now he's met the ultimate fig dresser. Grace has made an incision in Zacchaeus' heart. And the fruit has now turned from bitter to sweet. Zach is going to now make good and make right on his offenses. Let me ask you this question. When's the last time that grace has lanced your heart? When Jesus has made his incision into your heart with his grace and it has caused you to release all the bile and pressure of your sin and the sin against you. And when you receive the grace, knowing that you are received, you're forgiven, that He has come for you, you want to extend that grace and that sweetness to others. This is what's going on in Zacchaeus' life. This is what needs to be going on in our lives what Jesus wants to do has the lance of grace struck your heart yet to change the fruit of your heart from bitter to sweet and by the way what Zacchaeus does is is not coming out of nowhere there's a law of restitution in the old testament law that if you took something of someone's like money or possession you would give back that possession of that amount of money, and then 20%. But if you, took, if you took sheep or livestock, one sheep you would pay back four. So this is where it comes from when, when, when Zacchaeus says, I'll give back four times. I suspect he cheated a people, people out of a lot of sheep, a lot of livestock. But here's the thing also. Jesus doesn't ask him to do this. And Zacchaeus was not brokering a deal like, hey, you know, if I give this, then I'll receive acceptance or forgiveness. No, it's just his heart's response to Jesus, his repentant heart, knowing that God has pursued him in the person of Jesus. And he's been reconciled to God, and now he wants to be reconciled to his fellow man. And this is the value of the kingdom of God, compassion. And justice. And so Jesus says to him in verse 9 Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save that which was lost, literally. Three clauses. Today salvation has come to this house. Again, Zacchaeus is experiencing salvation not because Zach finally got his act together, not because now his good outweighs his bad, not because he was doing good deeds, but because God's Messiah, God's Savior has come to him and he's responding to what God offers to do in him what he couldn't do himself. And again, remember, Zacchaeus is not well viewed. He's probably viewed as the one who's least likely to receive salvation. And Jesus says this, because this man too is a son of Abraham. This is a significant statement, especially for that setting. Abraham was the father of the faith. He was the one to whom all Jews in the past looked to. Because God had made a promise to him, made a promise to him that he, his descendants would be many, like the stars in the sky, like the sand of the sea, they'd possess the land, and that through his seed, he'd bless all nations. Abraham was the poster child for salvation. And now this is coming to Zacchaeus. Not based on his DNA, not because he was physically a Jew, but because of the faith that he displayed like that of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says this, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham, who had not received everything that God had promised, he believes God. Not just for descendants as many as the stars in the sky and the sand of the sea. Not just for the land. That God would use him to bring blessing to every nation, to every man and woman. And the Apostle Paul explains it like this in Galatians chapter 3 verses 6 and 7. So Abraham also believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. Understand that those then, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. You see, it's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. Faith in what God would do in sending his son, his Messiah, his Savior. In the same verses, in the next two verses in Galatians, Paul says this, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you so that those who rely on faith, not DNA, uh, by faith, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is what's happening in Zacchaeus' life. Remember, Jesus says, I must stay at your house today, Zacchaeus. Jesus pursued Zacchaeus. And then he says in verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save literally that which was lost. You see, when a man or woman strays from God, they become wayward, they've wandered from Him, they are lost. And God doesn't say, Well, I'm just cutting my losses, I'm just letting that person go. No, He pursues them. He pursues that person, and God pursued us. He becomes the Son of Man. He puts on flesh, dwelt on this earth. He came to be the man who would pursue us and bring him back to himself, even those who are the least likely, like a Zacchaeus. Or maybe it's you. Maybe you feel like you've wandered away too far. But he pursues us, and that's the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not without controversy. It's not without scandal. For the crowd, or maybe even for us. Because this involves grace. And grace is always undeserved. Let me say that again. Grace is always undeserved. And so what is our response when someone who's lived a horrible life, has done some terrible things, and we, by our flesh, despise that person. We hate them. And then they meet Jesus. And they receive his grace. What is our response? I remember, within the big story, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's going there to die. And he's not going there to die for the people of who deserve it Because none of us do. He's going there to die for the lost, because that's you, and that's me. See, grace has nothing to do with deserving it. And so it's a rebuke. This is a bit of a rebuke to us, maybe even to the crowd for us when we want to withhold grace or even the gospel from those we don't think deserves it because none of us do but again that's the beauty and the flip side of this is it ought this story the gospel in general ought to make us grateful and make us hopeful because Jesus coming really is good news That really means that God really does know our name. That means he really does pursue us. That means he reaches out and draws us back to ourselves that we can be reconciled to him. That we can be saved. That we can become a daughter or son of Abraham by faith. That ultimately we can become daughters or sons of the living God. And that's an amazing thing. And then God takes over and does his amazing grace work in our lives to make us a new creation, to make us sweet in heart like Zacchaeus. No, we don't deserve it. But that's the beauty of grace. It reaches out to the least deserving. And no one is beyond reach. This Gospel of Luke talks about lost things a lot. And in chapter 15 jesus tells three stories about lost things but the first one is about a shepherd who leaves his 99 sheep in the field to go find one lost straying sheep and that shepherd that goes after them is jesus jesus really does leave the 99 in the field to go pursue one that is amazing that is beautiful You know, maybe today, you're a person that has felt far from God. You've wandered far from the shepherd of your soul. You've been doing your own thing. And you're wondering, does Jesus want to have anything to do with me? Yeah, he does. He's pursuing you. And friend, let me tell you, he knows your name. He is intimately acquainted with you. And he wants you to be his. He wants you to experience the redemption that Zacchaeus experienced, that so many of us have experienced. Not because you deserve it, because you don't. But because he is a gracious, seeking savior. And he wants you to come to know him. There's a promise in the Gospel of John that says to as many as received him, that is, have invited him into their lives, into their hearts, just like Zacchaeus did, inviting him into his home. Those who believe in his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Know that there is good news. Your shepherd has come to pursue you. He lived this life that you couldn't live. He died on a cross to pay a debt you couldn't pay. And he rose from the grave to give you life, life eternal that you don't have in yourself. And that's what he wants to do in you. That's what he wants to change you and make you his own. And nobody is beyond reach. Zacchaeus did some pretty despicable things. Maybe you've done some despicable things, but it's not beyond him. Jesus wants to come to your house today. Will you welcome him? Will you say, yes, Lord? And for those of us who already know him, boy, I hope you're struck by the beauty of our Savior. Savior. How he pursues us, how he pursued you, how he pursued me. And I pray that grace will still be amazing for you. I pray that this will again cause you to have a sense of wonder. Have a sense of wonder how he's come for you, how he's come to seek and save the lost. There's a verse in Isaiah chapter 43. And it struck me this week because the promises of the Old Testament are, are yes in Jesus. And this is what it says. It says, this is what the Lord says, who called you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel. Fear not. Put your name in there. This is what the Lord says, who created you, O Berean. Who created you? Oh, Bobby. Oh, Isabel. Oh, Rowan. Oh, John. Oh, Amy. Oh, Carrie. Oh, Bailey. Fear not. I have redeemed you. I bought you back for myself. And I have called you by name. I know your name. And you are mine. That is the beauty of our Savior. I pray it will, again, make grace's incision in your heart that you know the sweetness of our Savior and that that might pour out to others.